Welcome, dear listener, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and joining me in New South Wales is Fraser Douglas. Fraser, welcome back to the podcast. Pleasure to have you on, as always. Hope you and your loved ones are, are doing well, mate, with the situation in, in New South Wales. Thanks, Casper. You are too kind, mate. And uh, what a week to be on. Um, it's an absolute privilege. You've got some cracking games some cracking storylines i'm looking forward to getting stuck in with you it's an incredible final round coming up only the swans in sixth are the they're the only team currently inside the eight with their position confirmed for finals football unless a miracle happens for the swans and they absolutely annihilate the suns and I don't know, some black magic type of thing happens to the Lions and the Dogs, then the Swans can jump up to fourth, but it's not going to happen. So the Swans are pretty much locked into sixth. Basically, before we get into all that, the way that this podcast is structured, section one will each give our top two highlights, top two lowlights of the weekend. Section two will discuss the four, normally this week, five major talking points to come out of the weekend before previewing round 23, the final round of the home and away season for 2021 in section three. But let's get started. Section one, what is, uh, or what were your top two highlights of the weekend, Fraser? Uh, highlights to me, uh, Fremantle got to be right up there with that derby win. Um, I really expected West Coast to kind of give themselves a shot um, to make the eight, and obviously it's there's still a mathematical chance, but you, you put the you just about put the moz on them because um, Fremantle they were really good um, heading into the off season with momentum. Now you feel like obviously they've still got St Kilda on the weekend, but um, they've been out of the top eight for an extended period, and that won't change this year. But if you're a Fremantle fan, you've got to be feeling okay. I think um, they've had some iffy moments throughout the year. And they've obviously, they were one of the big things about their win. They were without um, Fife and Walters, which makes it um, so much more impressive. They've, I think they'd lost the last 11 derbies in a row. And um, that goal from Adam Chera, I mean, that's a, that's a highlight in itself. Um, they were brilliant to steal the win. The West Coast really coming at the start of that last quarter and I thought their um, back line really stood up. And uh, yeah, that's definitely a highlight for me. Another one, uh, really uh, uh, kind of a two-pronged highlight, this one. Port and Brisbane kind of reinserting themselves into the into the flag race. Uh, about a month ago, I felt like the jury was kind of out. I had it kind of pegged down to Melbourne, Geelong and the Dogs. And um, while maybe Brisbane aren't on that same level as Port, I feel like Port has that a little bit more, uh, another gear, if you will, without obviously Brisbane without um, Hipwood and Rayner, which is an important part of their, their forward line. Um, I think you've got to give them a chance, um, those two teams, to maybe make... Um, make some things happen. Um, momentum's so important coming into finals. And they've got that. We've uh, seen that in recent years with uh, the Dogs in 2017. And we're kind of seeing that now with GWS, who are really putting together a strong um, into their season. They finished first and second last year, and they were, they were probably favourites um, to make the grand final last year. And they both missed out, which I can't remember a time where first and second at the end of the home and away season have both missed out on the big dance. but um. Yeah, they've both had consistent injury problems this year, Brisbane and Port, and I feel like they've really recovered quite well. We saw Brisbane get rolled by Hawthorne a few weeks ago, which is it's kind of when I was thinking, gee, I'm not sure. I think that's about when I was on um, the podcast last time, and we were kind of both thinking, yeah, we're not 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 sold on Brisbane, whether they'll uh, 
that could be another one where they're either, they're either out in straight sets or even if that elimination final, which they may well find themselves in after this weekend, could be going out. But I think now you've got to think they're, they're a really good shot at at least getting to that second week of final challenging for the third and Port. I think Port are a really good chance to knock off the dogs on um, Friday night. We'll get into that shortly. But, um, yeah, renewed, renewed optimism for both um, for both teams. What about yourself, man? Yeah, I agree. Both teams had uh, wonderful wins. Um, I'll mention Port as my first highlight, just because midway through that second quarter, they were looking like a real possibility of being the biggest losers of the weekend, down by four goals against a team that they were expected to win pretty comfortably against. And then 19 goals in a row since 2000, the third uh, longest um, consecutive goals streak by any team in a game, possibly the third ever, because you had the Cats in 2018 with 23 goals in a row against Fremantle to end that game. And then obviously in 2019, we had the game that I'm not going to talk about, 21 goals in a row. Um, but yeah, 19 goals in a row. Absolutely incredible. I remember checking the scores at quarter time and thinking, oh, wow, the power in for a real tight tussle this afternoon. Real tight tussle. Carlton have turned up to play. And then I checked the score with about five minutes ago and I couldn't believe it. It was like I was watching a completely different game. So fantastic turnaround from Port Adelaide there. And the second one for me, it has to be GWS. A lot has changed for the Giants and the Tigers since the last time they played at Marvel Stadium, which was earlier this year. Uh, pretty interesting that the AFL avoided playing Richmond and GWS at Marvel Stadium for so long. Like what they've been playing against each other since 2012 and only 2021 was their first ever clash at Docklands. And then in the space of one season, they played there twice with two completely contrasting results. I feel like the 39-point margin really flattered the Tigers in the end. Um, the Giants took their, took their foot off the, uh, off the gas in the last quarter. It could have easily have been a 60- to 70-point win, but nevertheless, it's a fantastic win for the Giants, considering the injuries that they've had this year, to be in control of their finals destiny entering the last round is a wonderful effort. And um, Leon Cameron, I think it was Damian Barrett who said, uh, who wrote that Leon Cameron should should be in consideration for coach of the year. And I would agree with that, especially considering how slow their season started, zero and three. It's a fantastic effort. Now, unfortunately, with every single highlight, there comes a low light. Um, my number one low light has got to be West Coast and that first quarter. Arguably the most important game that your club has played since the 2018 Grand Final. Easily the most important derby at, in at least 10 years, 10, 15 years. It's been a while since we've had a derby of this importance. You come out, you're against a team missing their two best players, as you mentioned, Fife and Walters out. You've won the last 11 derbies against them pretty comfortably, including one earlier this year by 10 goals. And you concede 50 points in this in the opening quarter? Are you kidding me? That doesn't happen. I'm struggling to remember the last time that happened this season. That doesn't Fremantle doesn't do that. This is the team that can't score, that can't kick a high score. And you let them kick eight goals for a quarter. Are you kidding me? It doesn't matter. And yeah, sure, that goal that you talked about before from, from Sarong was incredible. It was out of bounds, but it was pretty amazing. 
But nevertheless, even if that ball was caught back, you still would have lost and you deserve to lose that one. And you're lucky that Fremantle never really got out of second gear after quarter time, but they didn't need to. And that's an indictment on the West Coast Eagles. Um, second low light for me, there's a problem at the Western Bulldogs that I can't quite put my finger on. They've gone from one of the most dominant midfields um, for the first part of the season to now over the last few weeks really struggling. Um, and I feel like for a few weeks, their problems in the midfield were kind of masked because they were winning, but they've lost now two games in a row that they would have absolutely penciled in. And now, instead of what I thought two weeks ago, what they were, which were you know strong favorites to finish top of the ladder, they could finish fifth at the end of this weekend. If they lose to Port and if Brisbane beat West Coast by enough, they'll finish fifth with the possibility of being eliminated in week one of the finals for the third season in a row. And I feel like with the midfield that they have, that should not be happening. And I, I can't quite put my finger on why, because this is quite a sudden problem. Um, and it's pretty unexplainable. But you look at some of the highlights from the Hawthorne game, and they almost look Carlton-like the way that they are really poor at defending and manning up on stoppages, especially inside Hawthorne's forward 50. So I don't know. They have to turn it around quickly because this is a horrible time of the season to be having a form slump. Um, how about you, Fraser? Your top two lowlights? I completely agree on the dogs, and we'll uh, touch on them in a minute. Uh, it's an interesting way they've uh, found themselves finishing the season. But for my lowlights, uh, I've got to have Richmond's. Richmond's whole season's really just been a low light. Um, as you kind of mentioned in your highlights, you've kind of set me up well. That Judo West game had all the makings of a, it was like a blockbuster mini final. I was really looking forward to it. Richmond needed to win to keep themselves in with a shot. GWS had the chance to put themselves in the box seat, which they are, which they now find themselves in. And you can't, I guess you can't put it all down to Richmond not turning up. GWS started that game like a house on fire, but it's been such a disappointing year for the yellow and black. Um, Premiership windows, they don't last forever. And we're kind of seeing that obviously you had the retirings of um, Asprey and Hooley this morning. So it kind of feels like it's that new new, um, new era. But at the same time, I'm not sure they have that depth that's going to keep them. Like we've got teams like you've got the Dogs and Melbourne and Port. They've got that youth still coming through. So Richmond don't have that same level of youth. And that's going to make it really hard, especially when you fall down. It's like they finished like seventh and... Oh, we, lead, we made the finals. We'll push again. They can, they can finish like 12th. Like, that's not even close. Like, in some of these games, especially later in the year, I mean, that loss to St Kilda, that was shocking. That was a horrible loss. I mean, they've, they've, they've obviously had injuries. We've seen that with, um, with Hooley, especially, who's um, now retiring. Fatigue for, from success, I guess you can add in there, whatever you want to call it. Um, they missed a year where they could have contended, in my mind. Like, this is a wasted year. Obviously, they've lost Dustin Martin. That's um, that's a huge part of their success. But you feel like they should have at least made the finals. It's really disappointing. Um, it's hard to say you feel for Richmond fans when they've won uh, three of the last four flags, but you kind of do. I feel. I remember when I remember when Sydney um, were contending in like the the twelve period, and then we kind of started to fall off quickly. And even after like when we were contending in like the after the 05 flag. When you, when you don't um, make the most of the potential of your list, it's really hard to take as a fan. And I'm sure there's plenty of Richmond fans who will be 
looking forward to next year and not so much the end of this year because um yeah they need they need to replenish their list whether that's um through the draft i think that's probably the way to go and my other low light you kind of mentioned as well you set me up well here um the carlton port game mark murphy's 300th they got him there to be fair to carlton they did get him there through the subs and whatever that that rule is where you get counted even if you don't play. I'm pretty sure he played all the games he was sub, but that needs to change that rule. They're obviously coming off that loss to the Suns. They looked up for the fight in the early stages again. Port, as you mentioned, they're down. They're up by four, four goals. David Teague's also under the pump. They got players fighting to prove they belong at the top level, and then they get shellacked by 95 points. I mean, it's a pretty tough way to go out. It's nothing. There's I mentioned this, it's pretty tough when you see a team who should be competing for flags, missing out. But when you see like club champions getting like kicked to the curb almost because the players didn't really turn up in that second half. I mean, they were nowhere near it in that second half. And this, it's not a great list, but it's not 95 points, especially when you've got your coaches right under the pump. It just looked like there wasn't that level of intent. And um, yeah, it doesn't look great for David Teague. That's, that's for sure. No, I, I completely agree with you there. Let's transition to the second part of the uh, of the podcast, of the episode, and let's talk about David Teague. There was a, a really telling image, I think, after the games, in the, uh, in the rooms afterwards, and it's just David Teague just by himself, looking at his notes or looking at the whiteboard, trying to figure out what happened, and he's just completely by himself. I think it was Rowan Connolly who said after that, he, he, he said he actually felt really sorry for David Teague. So I want to ask you, Fraser, in your opinion, has David Teague been thrown to the wolves by the Carlton Football Club? In my mind, the answer is yes. I mean, inexperienced senior coach, senior assistant in um, John Barker, he announced he was um, going to leave at the end of this year and then they moved him out during the mid-season. I mean, that was never a good move. I obviously understand with like the COVID cap hits and stuff like that, but they'd already made redundant, I think, uh, six other coaches um, between uh, last year and this year. So that's never going to help. Um, the list, as I just mentioned, the list isn't great. I mean, I think we all had a bit too high hopes for Carlton this year. Finals was probably pushing it but they've still underachieved. Um, they've got Murphy, um, we've got Eddie Betts, who we'll touch on in a moment. Um, Levi Caswell, they're all departing. So the list is getting younger. Well, I think they've failed Teague. Um, yes, I think they have. But I think Ross Lyon's going to coach Carlton next year. And if you saw him on Footy Classified last night, and that's all but a done deal unless Alistair Clarkson puts his hand up. He turned down the Collingwood job, did, uh, did Ross Lyon. So very interesting indeed. It's interesting. Um, I can't recall who said this, but somebody pointed out, you know, you look at a club like Melbourne, who at the start of Carlton's rebuild were in a far worse position than, than Carlton were. 2014, Carlton at least were coming off a final series in 2013. You know, true, they probably had to do a bit of a, a, a list regeneration, but Melbourne were coming off their worst years and it was the first year of the Paul Roos era, and he had a mountain of work ahead of him, Paul Roos at Melbourne. Um, but you look at what the Demons have done with Simon Goodwin, especially this year. They surrounded him with experienced coaches and experienced players now in the coaching industry. 
They're surrounded. Mark Williams is on that coaching panel, a premiership winning coach at Port Adelaide. Um, Troy Chaplin, granted not a premiership player at the Tigers, but did spend a few years under Damien Hardwick, who's now obviously a triple premiership coach. So has that experience of being uh, coached by now one of the best coaches in the business. And you just look at who Carlton surrounded David Teague with. It's just not the same level of, of, of help and of expertise. You know, you mentioned John Buck. Yeah, okay, sure. Clubs lose coaches all the time. And it's obviously a really difficult situation with COVID and the cat hit and whatnot. But surely you got to find a suitable replacement for it. You got to surround him with things. But also, I feel like the Carlton board up until the last few weeks, they've actually escaped a lot of criticism that they 100% deserve because they are the ones who hired Mick Malthouse, who then hired Brendan Bolton and now hired David Teague. They are the ones who haven't supported their coaches with um, adequate support in the coaching box. And they are the ones who I feel like have made horrible decision after horrible decision after horrible decision for that football club. And it's, it is kind of mind-boggling that only now their president, who oversaw all those changes, is now stepping down after all this. And I 110% feel like David Teague has been left out to dry. I think the least, the very least that Carlton could have done, and now I feel like it's a bit too late, but they could have made it crystal clear earlier to David Teague, either we're not going to have you for next year. Thank you for your service for the club. We'll look elsewhere. Or you're our man 100%. Either way, come out and say it. Make it make it public so that David Teague knows, so that the players know, so that the fans know. Speaking of Carlton, let's get on to the second talking point. Eddie Betts. We've mentioned Mark Murphy and his um, 300th game last week. Eddie Betts will now retire as a uh, 350-game player for Carlton. Uh, I think just the 19th player in the history of the competition to play 350 games and only the third Indigenous player to play 350 games after Adam Goods and Sean Burgoyne. A fantastic effort from Eddie Betts, one of the greatest showmen. They, the Blues would be hoping that his milestone game would be better than Mark Murphy's milestone game. Just one last thing on that effort by Carlton. Mark Murphy's 200th game was a 138-point loss to Hawthorne in 2015, and now his 300th game was a 95-point loss to Port Adelaide where they conceded 19 goals in a row. Hey, that's a 43-point improvement, Carlton fans, in six years. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But no, in all seriousness, Eddie Betts, I want to ask this question to you, Fraser. Where does he kind of rank in your mind amongst the greatest showmen in, in, in the game, the most exciting players to have played the game? Where does he rank? Well, in terms of the greatest showman, I mean, he's got to be right up there. You've obviously got um, Buddy Franklin is the first that comes to mind in that area, probably because of Anthony Hudson's commentary calling him the greatest showman. That's probably why that just springs to mind. I mean, Three-time All-Australian, 638 goals uh, and 29th on the all-time goals list for the VFL-AFL. Um, special numbers is a small forward. Uh, really special. I think he's the, pretty much the most. You can't really inc- I don't think you can include uh, Lee Matthews because, I mean, it's Lee Matthews. Just different, different, uh, different like, ball game with Lee Matthews. So, I mean, I think he's right in the discussion. 
in terms of small forwards in my lifetime, I mean, Stephen Milne is the other player that comes to mind. Uh, so if you wanted to compare those two, uh, Milne has him by average of goals per season. And that tells one story. I mean, obviously Milne played a lot more, um, a lot more finals than uh, um, bets. So, and uh, he was a bit of a different player to be fair to Milne. He's kind of that, had that uh, more of a lead up kind of play. Whereas any bets, was that was that greatest showman, if you know what I mean? He's like he's kind of like that player. Um, he's just got that. I mean, he's just got that knack to find the goals wherever he is. Um, he he kept Carlton watchable through that um, 2000s, um, late 2000s, early 2010s. I mean, in some of those goals he kicked, be it at Carlton or some of those goals at Adelaide Oval, just unbelievable. I mean, he's Adelaide Football Club should be forever indebted to him like and even like someone like a charlie cameron i mean can you like I, I can't even imagine how important that was for in the early stages of his career and it's going to be um great to kind of keep seeing um through like the young indigenous players like a like a charlie cameron or a, a cozy pickett kind of keeping seeing that the greatest showman kind of um mindset and um yeah it's even even now like even this year we saw that goal against uh keep the goal against sydney that was just top shelf I think he's comfortably um, one of the greatest showmen the AFL has seen and I think he's top two permanent small forwards of all time next to Stephen Milne. So where does that rank him in terms of the greatest players to play this century so far? Well, he's got to be right up there. I mean, obviously, when you think of accolades, um, they're always going to be midfielders. You've obviously got the Brownlow, like Norm Smith, very rarely does that um, go away from... Um, the midfield players with their stats and disposals and whatnot, and they're always around the ball, of course. But, I mean, right up there, when you think of this last 20 years of footy, and I've really only, obviously, I was born in 99, so I haven't seen the whole spiel of it, but I think he's right up there. When I think of this period of football and the highlights, if you look up 2010s highlights, 2000s highlights, it's going to be lived with Eddie Betts. I mean, that's just, that's a no-brainer. If you're putting together a highlights package, you've got to have a bit of Eddie Betts in there. So I mean, right up there for mine. I mean, it's it's tough to it's tough to categorize players, especially like Eddie Betts, because he does have that the greatest showman kind of um, mindset about him, where it's it's different to a player like a lockdown defender who we love, like a, a Matthew Scarlett or a, a midfielder like a Gary Ablett. It's just a different kind of player, and that's why I was kind of leaning to that that small forward because it's in my mind, the hardest position to play on the ground. I mean, you've got to have so much respect for players like a Milne and a Betts because it's hard. And then he's played 350 games will be this weekend. It's it's such, it's so impressive. And obviously the work he's done, we saw with the um, Indigenous stuff, he's obviously been subject to a lot of racial abuse at times and he's been a, um, a shone the spotlight on that, which has been so important. And I'm sure while he's retiring, continue to hear from him which is uh very important going forward what about you mate where have you got him ranked yeah i i agree with everything you said in terms of the greatest showman um i think of players like buddy i i do think of players like milne as well um possibly you know judd could always do the spectacular um but it's hard to think of a player who did it more consistently throughout the entirety of his career, like Eddie Betts, even if you take someone like Buddy Franklin. And you can argue that Buddy Franklin's highlight package were more you know, spectacular than Eddie Betts or that he had more impacts on games than Eddie Betts. But 
Buddy hasn't done, you know, he's he's become later in his career, Buddy, more conventional, more of a conventional forward um, than, you know, kicking the incredible running golf on the boundary line like he did against Essendon in 2010 or against the Crows in 2017. Um, but Eddie Betts, right from his first game up until probably one of his last few games, he's just kicked amazing goal after amazing goal after amazing goal. His first goal, round one, 2005, deep in the pocket, running towards the boundary line, kick a snap, and somehow managed to get it fading perfectly through for the goal. And that was his first goal. That's his first one. Absolutely incredible. And right up until this season, with all the struggles that Carlton have had, he's been one of their consistent shining lights this year for the Blues with how incredible he's been. Even in their disappointing losses, he's almost always popped up and kicked an incredible goal. That goal he kicked against the Swans at the SCG was incredible. Two weeks later against the Eagles at the same ground, probably even better. Both of them up against the boundary line. The one against West Coast, he he handballed the ball before being taken out of bounds, came back in, received the handball, and then managed to kick a snap from deep in the pocket. Absolutely incredible. And I have a smile on my face retelling that because it's just, it's absolutely freakish. It is absolutely freakish. Um, and it's rare to have one player in particular that gets people going to the footy. You know, even if Carlton are playing poorly or Adelaide were playing poorly, people went to the footy to watch Eddie Betts. So in terms of the greatest showman consistently, I think he's the greatest we've ever seen. In terms of the players this century, the greatest players, he's probably, I think he's comfortably inside the top 10, truthfully, if you know, if we take away the midfield bias. Um, I think he's, he's up there top 10. Um, and yeah, he's been a super important leader off the field um, in terms of Indigenous rights and in terms of um, standing up against racism. Um, you know, and, he's, and he said it's, it's taken a toll uh, on him, and I can imagine it has. Um, and I believe other Indigenous players, I think Carl Amon of Port Adelaide um, came out and he said, you know, we'll, we'll continue the fight. We'll, we'll pick up Eddie's fight. Um, and it's, it's an incredibly important uh, kind of movement. I don't like to say that Eddie Betts had started, but that he's helped kind of bring more into the um, into the national limelight by talking about it, which is which is very, very important. So um, he will be missed on the football field. Uh, I hope that either he becomes uh, an assistant coach somewhere or that he joins one of those footy talk shows. Um, I think he will be awesome at that. Um, whichever show has Eddie McGuire on it, just replace him with Eddie Betts. Please, I beg you. Less Eddie Maguire, more Eddie Betts. Thanks. Um, now, another team that had a disappointing weekend were West Coast. As I mentioned earlier, eight goals conceded in that opening quarter. The game was pretty much done by that point. My question for you is, Fraser, they're now at a fork in the road where they can either uh, try to contend for a flag in the next one or two years and delay the rebuilding process or they can rebuild on the run like what the Swans have done um, and what the Cats have been able to do over the last 15 years or so. My question for you is what direction should the Eagles go in to avoid you know, sliding down the ladder even further next year? 
Well, it's a great question. I'm sure they're asking themselves that question right now. When I watch West Coast and when I've watched them this year, it looks like there's a genuine lack of, of drive, really. That's kind of disappeared since that 2018 side obviously won the flag. And um, we've kind of seen that with teams. We saw it uh, 2008 with Hawthorne, 2016 with the Dogs, both won. And then it's ta- it took them, they did be- get back onto the top of the mountain, Hawthorne with that, obviously the three-peat. And the dogs now, they're contending again now. Or we hope they are. Depends how they go this weekend, I guess. But um, those two teams had different age profiles to the list. They were young when they won those flags. Whereas the West Coast, they're old. They're like, I think they're the third oldest list by age. And youth certainly doesn't spring eternal when you look at the team they played against Fremantle. There's plenty of question marks. I mean, do you look at trading like an Andrew Gaff back home to Melbourne to get younger for more picks? They've obviously lost a lot of picks when they brought in Tim Kelly. I think Oscar Allen's a big one. He needs to play forward. They've been throwing him around everywhere. That doesn't help the development of a young key forward, that's for sure. I thought we knew that by now, but apparently not. Um, does that mean Josh Kenny needs to move on or do they look at bolstering their back line with a... So Daniel Talley has not been offered a contract. Do they look at bringing someone like that in? That doesn't exactly bring more youth in, though, does it? I mean, they've got to make a call one way, or the, one way or the other. It's not like there's... They've got youth at West Coast, and they've been a pretty good um, side at rebuilding on the run. They had that lean period in the late 2000s when they were struggling in early 2010s. But then they kind of shot up the ladder. I think that obviously the year they won the flag, there was a lot of people tipping them to win the wooden spoon. So they, they did pretty well at that time to kind of shock the system and get back up on top. I mean, coaches get a grace period after they win a flag. There's that period of time where they no longer need to win like consistently for like contend for flags to keep their job. But I'm expecting pressure to really come on Adam Simpson next year, especially if they get shellacked by uh, Brisbane on Saturday, which I think is a real possibility with not, with very little to play for um, unless things fell their way. But um, in terms of the decision of whether they'll go young or continue to try and contend. I feel like the way West Coast is built, they'll continue to try and contend. The way their list is, I feel like you'd be, they've got too much. They've still got some of the most, uh, they've probably got one of the most high quality lists. It's just a matter of rediscovering that drive. And I've obviously got the play, I play like Nate Nui. I've, like, I've seen like champion Darty, they released their ranking, player rankings, and he's number one, in the competition, I don't feel like he's had, he's definitely not, I don't think he's an All-Australian player this year. I don't think he's rediscovered the heights that we know he can. If he gets back up to his very best, I mean, I think he's such a barometer for that team. If he, want, if he wants to be, I feel like he can be the best ruckman in the game. But um, that's, that's the question mark, whether he can do that and whether their midfield can do that. Because the midfield hasn't been the same since that 2018-19 period. Even that 19 season, they were still... They were still right in the hunt for the four. I think they finished fifth and ended up going out to Geelong in the semi. There's still kind of that hope that, oh, next year they'll be right there. They just missed out this year. They'll go again. And they just haven't got there. So I feel like they, if we look at what West Coast has done in recent times, I don't think they're going to go, let's strip it back. Josh Kennedy, we're not offering you a contract. Can you please retire? Andrew Gaff, we're trading you to Melbourne. Give us some picks. I don't think that's going to happen. I feel like they're more going to go down that route of bringing in older, experienced players and try continue to try for the next couple of years. Whether that works, it's going to be interesting because I'm expecting pressure to come on the list and definitely the head coach. What about you, Matt? 
occasionally you'll get a fall from grace that defies logic. And sometimes you can pinpoint, you know, exactly why a team has fallen off. Um, or you can, you know, look at factors like the Tigers this year, they've had their, their uh, pretty horrible run with injuries, at least compared to their premiership seasons of late, where they actually had a pretty good run with injuries um, in each of those years. But then you get a, a fall from grace like Fremantle in 2016, where they went from minor premiers in 2015 to third last in the space of one season. And you were like, what the hell happened? I feel like that's kind of what's happening with West Coast at the moment, because after that 2018 flag, they added Andrew Gaff, Brad Shepard, Nick Van Nui back into that team. Three players that if they went to any other team would automatically make that team 25% better just for being there. That's how good they were, 2018, 2019. Then after the 2019 season, you thought, okay, they just need another big body midfielder. They went and got arguably the most talented midfielder in the, uh, in the running that year. And that was Tim Kelly from Geelong. They actually managed to get him back and get him in an Eagles jumper. And so you thought, right, okay, flag number five is around the corner. And it wasn't, it isn't. I don't know what has happened to West Coast, but it's almost like that term downhill skiers is like whenever somebody says, boot, they get spooked and they don't, they don't show up. They don't play anymore. They give up, they head into the rooms. You know, the Swans got on a bit of a roll. Next thing you know, it's a 92-point win. Geelong got on a bit of a roll. Next thing you know, it's a 100-point win. It's bemusing and it shouldn't be happening. But I do agree with you. There's too much talent on the list to say, right, okay, time for a full-scale rebuild. And it's not like Carlton, where I feel like Carlton has possibly, probably failed in their list building again. It's not like that. You look at West Coast and there are proven Great, all Australian players, Norm Smith medal winning, premiership winning players on that list. And you just look at it, you go, you wonder if it is a lack of hunger, you know? And lack of hunger, as you said, it's 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 um it's curtailed premiership dynasties before. You look at Essendon 1999 to 2001, they were by far the best team during that three year stretch, and it only netted them one flag in 2000. So I do wonder if the premiership window has passed the Eagles. Maybe they do need to move on a couple of players. Um, but I don't think they need to move on a lot of them because I think this year, especially early in the year, they had a horrible run with injuries. But yeah, it's just they've got to rediscover the hunger. Like whatever Adam Simpson did in the 2017 offseason before the 2018 season, he's got to do it again. Like whatever the program was between those two years, they've got to do it again because they're arguably in a much better position now than they were at the end of 2017, where some people predicted that they would finish with the wooden spoon in 2018. I don't think anyone is saying that the Eagles will finish last in 2022. Um, but I don't know, maybe it's that maybe they need that mentality. Maybe they need the us against the world kind of mentality that they had in 2018. You know, when when people were predicting them to have a horrible season, maybe they need to tell themselves that, oh, yeah, everyone's expecting us to fall down the ladder further in 2022. And maybe they'll use that as a motivator. I don't know what's happening at West Coast, but whatever the hell is happening, Adam Simpson needs to figure it out. Because as you said, coaches normally get a grace period, but it doesn't last forever. And it can end very, very quickly. I mean, Alistair Clarkson, 
won four premierships with Hawthorne, and yet only six years after his last one, they've got kicked out. Adam Simpson's won one. He doesn't have the advantage of having three extra premierships that he's won. So I don't know. I don't know. Weird, weird, weird things are happening out West. <laughs> now, uh, speaking of the finals, the pre-finals buy is gone, but might be used later in the season, depending on if the WA government requires clubs to have the two-week quarantine period and depending on whether or not the AFL will put the grand final in Perth. I've heard also the AFL might be considering the prelim finals in Perth. So it could be elimination finals, semifinals played outside of WA, then a two-week break, and then the prelim final and the grand final. Um, my question for you is, Fraser, now of the six teams that have already made it, the Cats, the Deeds, the Dogs, the Power, the Lions, and the Swans, who's going to be greatly disadvantaged from the bye being removed between round 23 and the first week of the finals? Well, let me just say, firstly, I hate the pre-finals bye. There is nothing worse when spring is in the air and there's no footy on. The pre-finals bye means you lose momentum you've, that you've tried to build coming into September. And for that reason, I think scrapping will suit the teams that come into it full of confidence. That's why round 23 is so important because we've got teams, final aspirants, playing each other. With this when we got, obviously, we've got Dogs in Port, uh, Geelong in Melbourne. Um, that'll kind of set up where we're going from here, who plays who in the first week. Even a team like GWS that has struck gold over the last month, if they had a buy, I mean, it kind of just takes away that momentum that they've built. I mean, if they belt Carlton by 10 goals, they'll just about start um, betting favourites against Sydney. And I'd kind of agree with that because, I mean, Sydney's been good, but GWS have been better. That's just how it's been. I don't hate the idea of the the buy before the grand final or before the prelims. Obviously, it's COVID year. That might need to be the case if we want to get a crowd to the grand final, which hopefully we can. I mean, it gives us the opportunity to maybe bring back a, an All-Stars or a State of Origin game next year if we wanted to go down that path. Um, obviously, it'd be integral having the game played at um, Optus or the Adelaide Oval for, for a grand final because we want to see... I mean, we saw Patrick Dangerfield come out in the week and say it's just not the same, especially playing. I mean, I couldn't imagine a grand final without a crowd or even prelims. Prelims are – I went to the Richmond GWS prelim in, in – when was that? 17. That was the loudest crowd. I mean, we had, you had GWS, so I guess it was all one team, so that kind of helps. But the, the amount of passion in prelims, obviously, because grand finals too, uh, there's a lot of uh, – um, partners of the AFL and it's, not, it's a bit, it's a bit uh, corporate. So if we can get crowds, whether even if that's not in Victoria and it has to be in, I mean, even Adelaide or, or Perth, I mean, it's just so important. So teams, as, as for teams that will be disadvantaged by the um, finals by going, you've got to say it to be a team. Like if, if Port rolls the dogs and the dogs just are no confidence and then they have to play Essendon who might end up blowing Collingwood away by 10 goals on the weekend. Gee, I mean, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to be the uh, the guy with the Twitter account saying Essendon hasn't won a final in so however long, because <laughs> I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, I would be a bit scared if I was the dogs because Essendon's going to be full of confidence there. So teams like that, teams that don't, are kind of falling into the, into the finals, be that, um, I think the dogs probably the best example and we'll touch on them in the, in the preview for that game in a minute, but, 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely suits the teams without um, without that uh, that struggle that the dogs are going through at the moment. And teams like uh, Melbourne, for example, who have kind of hit their hit their straps at the right time it was a bit iffy a few weeks ago, but they kind of got themselves going again. So a team like Melbourne should be suited. A team like the Dogs, I'm I'm pretty worried for them. What about you, mate? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm worried for the Dogs with their form. The Swans, I'm a little worried with the Swans' form just because, you know, that, that awful loss to the Saints and an unconvincing win against North Melbourne. Um, no matter who the Swans come up against, and if the Giants lose and the Bombers win, then it's Sydney versus Essendon. And you'd be hard-pressed, I think, to find a super confident Swan supporter who would say, yeah, like, we'll, def- we'll definitely beat Essendon. Um, and from an Essendon and a Sydney supporter perspective, hopefully it will be a better game than the 2017 elimination final. Um, but I worry as well about the teams who have had to deal with injuries recently. Um, you know, and before the bye was announced as being removed, you look at a team like Brisbane that had Marcus Adams being injured um, and, you know, Marcus Adams coming back possibly around 23 or during that bye week. And you would think, OK, fine. By the time the finals comes around, Brisbane will be a little bit a little bit healthier. Geelong has had a couple of injuries recently. The Dogs have had a couple of injuries recently. The Swans have had a couple of injuries recently. That bye week there normally would allow teams to kind of rejig, you know, give a couple of weeks to kind of figure out exactly how to replace those injured players. Now they don't have that time. So... I think a team like Port Adelaide that hasn't had a lot of serious injuries recently, although possibly Scott Lysette, we'll see with that, um, hasn't had a lot of injuries recently, but also had um, a great run of form. I think it's set up very nicely for Port Adelaide. Um, and we'll get to the dogs versus the power recently. But you're right, it's teams with momentum. Um, Port Adelaide and Melbourne, I think, are the two teams licking their, licking their lips at the fact that this finals bias has been removed, but also to a lesser extent Geelong because Geelong have always struggled after the bye, especially when it comes to finals football. They have really, really, really struggled to, to, to win. Um, I think the only game that they've actually won after a finals bye was that 2016 qualifying final, and they only won that because Isaac Smith missed. So they could have easily lost that as well. Um I, I am worried for the dogs the most, though. Out of the teams that have already made it, I am worried about the dogs because now they don't have two weeks to figure out what's happening. Like in 2016, they lost to Fremantle and they had two weeks and we know what happened after that. Now they don't have two weeks. So who knows? Now, uh, speaking of finals, the uh, fifth talking point, I want to ask you, Fraser, what do you think the finals week one fixture matchups will look like when you asked me this i was um it's pretty quickly uh onto the ladder predictor and having a look and it was uh i was salivating to be honest because i mean this weekend's pretty good with friday and saturday night but that first week of finals especially now that we don't have a buy we don't even have to wait it's looking pretty good i'm i'm thinking i mean we'll touch on it with the games but at this stage, I've got Port rolling the dogs, which will set them up for a top two finish. I think Dangerfield, in his quest for that elusive flag, will drag Geelong over the line against Melbourne, similar to what he did last weekend. And Brisbane will take care of West Coast, providing GWS and Essendon win. That will lead us with 
Geelong versus Essendon, 1v4. Port v Melbourne, 2v3. Oh, oh, oh. Geelong, Geelong v Essendon, 1v4. Geelong v Brisbane. Right, yeah. Sorry, mate. Um, I just wanted Port- to double check. <laughs> <laughs> Port v Melbourne, 2v3. Dogs v Bombers, 5v8. And another Sydney Derby final, 6v7. That's quite mouth-watering if you ask me. What about, what about you, man? What are you thinking? I agree with almost all those. I have Melbourne beating Geelong. Yeah, that's I think if the Giants can beat Geelong and Geelong and if the Saints can push the Cats all the way in Geelong, I can't see why Melbourne can't. Um, And I think Melbourne this year are a better team than Geelong um, and they have better momentum heading into this weekend than the Cats, um, which would leave Melbourne versus Brisbane in the first qualifying, first versus fourth. The Power versus Geelong in a rematch of last year, second versus third. Fifth versus eighth, I think will be the Dogs and the Bombers, while I also think that it will be another third instalment of the finals, Sydney Derby, Battle of the Bridge, and I think surely that has to be played in Perth. I mean, surely that has to be played in Perth. I know from a Swans perspective, if it can't be played in Geelong, surely you play them in Perth. Because, you know, last year they played in Perth during the home and away season and the Swans won by 42 points. And that was the year where the Swans were awful. So I can't, like, the Giants playing the Giants in Perth in a year where the Swans are really, really good. Yeah, I'm excited about that prospect. But we'll wait and see. We'll wait to see what happens. Um, Let's get on to round 23. It's a massive weekend of football. And it starts off on Friday night. I had a feeling that this was going to be the Friday night clash for quite a while. Um, it's the dogs versus the power on Friday night football. If the dogs win, they're in the top four. If the power win, then dogs have a very, very, very nervous weight. Who's going to win Fraser by how much and why? I mean, we've, we've touched on you, um, especially touched on the dogs. They're getting smashed in the midfield and especially in contested ball, which has been a, I mean, they were number one for the last, I think the last two weeks, they're, I think they're 17th and the weeks before that, the whole season. So rounds one to 2020, they were first. That's a, that's a massive drop off. Um, so while their midfield is struggling, so is their forward line. Though. They obviously lost Josh Bruce. And I mean, Josh Bruce probably doesn't get enough credit for the way he straightened them up in their forward line. They had obviously got um, Jamar Ugalhagen and he was um, rested last week. So I'm assuming he'll come in this week. So it'd be interesting to see how he goes. Um, I don't hold out much hope for a first year player to drag them over the line and through the finals, but um, who knows? He's very talented as we've seen, but um, they, yeah, 27 point loss to Hawthorne. Won't be, a, won't be a cakewalk trying to turn that around against Port Adelaide. They're peaking at the right time and they've got everything to play for. And secure a top two finish. At least that's at least two home finals. They'll get to play at Adelaide Oval with a crowd, which a lot of teams haven't had in a while. I think the inclusion of Tom Cleary is really important for Port. I mean, it helps free up Alia, who played one of his better games of the year last weekend. Um, I could see him having a similar impact on Friday night, especially with um, the Dogs' forward line not functioning um, all that well they might send I think the dogs probably might end up sending Mitch Hannon to on onto Aaliyah to play kind of a defensive role as a forward that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out obviously Aaliyah has him covered for height so I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out but I think Cleary is a really important player he's, he's been admitted a few times this year so he's obviously been in and out of form but I feel like he's a really important player 
Aaliyah is an interesting player, obviously played for Sydney, so I saw him quite a bit. Can be um, vulnerable one-on-one. And having that second key defender, so Aaliyah doesn't have to take um, your this other the opposing team's second best forward or second tall, um, just frees him up so much more. So obviously the dogs, they'll be up for a response and they'll have to put some work into Aaliyah, which I think they will. But I think that's going to be a really key part of the game, that, that intercept off halfback, because Port Adelaide's defence has the dogs' um, backline covered by a long, a long way. But, um, yeah, I really think Port are going to be up for this, even though it's at Marvel Stadium and um, uh, it's not at home for Port. But I feel like they're going to be right into this to try and get those two home finals. So I've got Port by 10 points. I think it'll be close, but I think Port can do it. What about you, mate? It's amazing what three weeks in football can do. If one week in football is a long time, then three weeks is an eternity. I think the dogs are going to lose and I think they're going to risk slipping out of the top four, which seems crazy to think about. It would be crazy to think that two weeks ago before the Bombers clash, they, they, that they could slip out of the top four. It's crazy to think last week because you looked at the Hawthorne game and you say, okay, well, you know, they'll rebound against the Hawks. They didn't. They got blown apart in the midfield by the Bombers and now by the Hawks. And you could think Essendon, okay, well, Essendon, you know, Essendon's got a strong-ish midfield. Yeah, sure, on paper, it's not as strong as the Dogs. But, you know, you could see that there's, there's a strong midfield at Essendon. No disrespect to Hawthorne. They're a young midfield at Hawthorne for the most part. You know, yeah, you got Jago O'Meara and you got Mitchell. But aside from those two, it's a pretty young midfield. So the fact that the Hawks were able to tear the Dogs apart massive alarm bells would be ringing for the dogs um, and for Luke Beveridge, especially the power. They have such a talented um, nucleus in that midfield and um, their forward line, when it gets going, is really hard to stop. I think it's going to be an epic clash. I'm tipping the power by seven points and it's going to be a nervous 12 to 24 hours for the Bulldogs. Let's get on to Saturday afternoon. The Tigers need a miracle. They need a miracle. Mathematically, they can still make it, but they need a few things to go their way. And it starts off with a clash against Hawthorne at the MCG. But I don't think it's going to happen. I'm tipping the Hawks to continue their amazing late season form and send Alistair Clarkson off a winner. The Hawks are going to win by four points. It's going to be an epic contest at the MCG. The Tigers just look like they want the season to end. They just look like they just want the season to end. They want to go on their post-season holiday, which this year will probably be restricted to Victoria. Um, The Hawks, they're building to something, I reckon, next year, possibly the Hawks. Momentum is a wonderful thing in football. Um, Yeah, sure, why not? Alistair Clarkson farewell tour gets the grand finale that it, it so thoroughly deserves the Hawks by four points. Oh, I couldn't agree more, mate. Um, Cochin, Nankers, and Shane Edwards all out for Richmond. Looks like they've put the queue in the rack. Um, Clarkson sending him off. Is it too late to bring him back for next year? That's what I'd be asking. <laughs> um, but hopefully, yeah, they're looking. They're looking on the right track, the Hawks. So I think there's um, there's optimism for a, for a Hawthorne supporter as as much as I hate to say it. And um, yeah, I think they'll 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 win this game. It'll be a pretty nice uh, end to. Clarkson's way out, even though it probably hasn't played out how we all expected it to go. But, um, yeah, I've got uh, Hawthorne by two goals. So, yeah, it should be an interesting game, though, Saturday afternoon. It's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit interesting game. Be physical. 
It should. Um, just before we go on to the next game, news out of Hawthorne, it will also be Sean Burgoyne's last AFL game. Four wow. and seven games. Uh, I think the fourth highest ever total for a player. Um, and not only that, but the highest by far of an Indigenous player. An absolute superstar. Won four premierships, one at the Power, and then obviously the three-peat at Hawthorne. A phenomenal player, Sean Burgoyne, and we wish him all the best. Uh, yeah, no doubt an incredible player. Also, Thatcher Hooley, uh, I don't think he'll get a chance to play, but also a fantastic career for him. David Asprey as well is going to retire. Jesus, yeah, it's going to be very emotional. Uh, whoever wins is going to be very, very emotional. Um, on to Saturday afternoon football at Marvel Stadium, the Sydney Swans and the Gold Coast Suns. The Swans, weirdly, has been the team that the Suns have performed pretty well against of late. They're, they've, I think they've won three out of the last four games between these two teams, and that makes me very nervous heading into this one. But with that being said, I think the Suns are another team that I just think want the season to end. Um, but with that being said, they have... Uh, I think their future to play for as a club, uh, Stuart Dew's future as their head coach, they want to prove that they 100% deserve to be in this competition and they cannot afford a repeat performance of their shocking loss to Essendon last weekend. They'll push the Swans all the way, but in the end, the class of the Swans will be too much. Um, they'll try to build a little bit of momentum heading into the finals. Swans by four goals. How about you, Fraser? Can the Swans finally pit the Suns? <laughs> Very similar, mate. I mean, I've, I think we've touched on that before, that Gold Coast seem to always always do the Swans in when they're big outsiders. But um, obviously the Swans, they're going to be without Blakey for the rest of the season without, uh, looks like a broken uh, leg. So that's not ideal. And uh, Kennedy with a bit of hamstring tightness. So I'm expecting him to miss and should be fine to go for um, the first week of finals. Um, yeah, as you touched on, um, I mean, Gold Coast, it's been, I feel like they're, they're a bottom, they're still, it's not like they're, they're not underachieving, but they're not overachieving. They're just that, they're in that middle, that middle ground. Um, I think Stuart Jew is under real pressure. Uh, he's going to be under real pressure over the off season, whether they make a move there or not. Um, they've, it's been a team that's, have never really been settled in that department. They've lost a lot of assistant coaches, um, obviously with the COVID stuff as well, but even before that and after that, Coaches have left, coaches have come in. It's always been a bit of uncertainty. We've got the, there's this stuff about Tasmania. Gillian McLaughlin said that the Suns won't be moving. They want to keep that team in that um, far north Queensland area to kind of attract that talent, which is fair enough. But they've got to start to get some, um, got to start to get some wins on the board. It looked so promising early days for the Suns. They had that miraculous Gary Ablett season where he almost dragged them to the finals. But it's all been pretty much downhill since then. They've been okay at times this year. They tend to always throw in a few really good games. Obviously, they blew the Swans away, which almost brings me to tears every time I think about it. But, um, yeah, I'm expecting them to be up for the fight. The Swans haven't been scintillating over the last month. So I've got the Swans by three goals. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns give this a good shake. It seems to be their MO against, uh, against Sydney. <laughs> well, you look at the two... Um... You look at the two list profiles and they're pretty similar, the Suns and the Swans, so they match up. So it should be an interesting contest. Now, this game, if the Dogs do indeed lose to the power, then this game will decide who finishes fourth on the ladder. It's the Lions versus the Eagles at the Gabba. Fraser, 
can the Eagles salvage something in round 23 or will the Lions flex their muscles? Lions, Lions, Lions here. Um, Brisbane, they found some form at the right time of the year. Same cannot be said for West Coast. If things fall their way, Brisbane, as we've said, could find themselves finishing the top four, which I think would be a really good effort after losing Hipwood uh, about a month and a half ago with that ACL. So and even, that, even then, despite they lost a um, lost to Hawthorne, which I guess isn't the worst form considering what we've seen out of Hawthorne. They've really um, found some form themselves over the last little while, but they will know um, what they where they can finish by the time that this game starts um, with the Port um, Dogs game on Friday night. So there'll be hopefully be plenty to play for to make it an interesting watch if they've got that chance and we're checking the margin. What do they need to win by? So that'll um, hopefully be um, making for interesting viewing. West Coast, they've been better against Melbourne Fremantle. I mean, obviously that first quarter was not ideal, but um, their best, I don't think, is good enough right now. West Coast are one and seven against the top eight this year. That, I mean, that's just horrendous. Tim Kelly's surely done after that medial ligament injury on the weekend. I mean, we've seen West Coast not turn up to games at all. I mean, that game against Sydney where they got blown off the park. I mean, Sydney's not top two. It's not like, oh, Sydney's going to finish um, sixth. So, I mean, they're, they're not, they shouldn't be losing by 90-plus to the Swans. I mean, that just tells you all you need to know. I think Brisbane wins this comfortably by six goals, and hopefully we've got a bit of a live chance, and that um, might end up seeing... Brisbane end up fourth and the dogs. I'd love to see the I'd love to see the dogs and Essendon in the first week of finals. I reckon that'd be awesome. As an Essendon supporter, no disrespect, West Coast, but I'm hoping the Lions flog you because I'm feeling more confident about playing the Bulldogs in the first week of the finals than playing the Lions. Although Joe Danaher versus Essendon in the first week of the finals, <laughs> that's a juicy storyline right there. Um, as for uh, as for this game, that one and seven record is mind boggling. It's even crazier when you think that that one win that they had was against Port Adelaide, who up until the last few weeks have also struggled this year against top eight teams. And that game was in Perth. This game is against a team that has played well against other top eight teams, even with all the injuries they've had. And it's in Southeast Queensland which, as we know, as soon as the plane crosses that border into Queensland, the Eagles just immediately lose their ability to play good football. It just completely vanishes from them. It's been a curse that they've had ever since round one, 2019. It's just completely vanished. Um, I do think that it'll be a comfortable Brisbane win. I think seven to eight goals, possibly. It could even be by more. I would not be surprised if the Lions put on a percentage booster against the Eagles. Um, this, I think, could very well be the most easiest game to pick of this weekend. And the fact that I'm saying that, in all seriousness, is a serious indictment on the West Coast Eagles. But we've bullied the Eagles, I think, enough. On to Saturday night football. It's the uh, Geelong Cats. Not Saturday night football. It's going Saturday afternoon football. It's the Geelong Cats. Hosting Melbourne, the winner will finish on top of the ladder. Now, uh, Fraser, I think you gave the hint away that you're tipping Geelong in this one. How come? I am. I've got that vibe. I just sometimes, you know, how we had the Geelong Port qualifying. Sometimes I'm just like, surely we're not going to get that two years in a row. I mean, that's just that's that's astronomical odds. So I'm just I've just got that vibe. Geelong down. Um, 
Geelong down at GMHBA, hard to beat. I'll lay the case. Um, first of all, thank you to the AFL Fixture Guys for awarding us with two brilliant Friday and Saturday night games. It's been yeah. pretty tough going. We obviously had that Richmond St Kilda Friday night game that uh, let me had that Carlton St Kilda game. Uh, Almost had to gouge my eyes out with a spoon, but thankfully we've arrived at this point and the finals are on the horizon. So winner takes a minor premiership, as you, as you said. I've just got the feeling that Geelong is going to try and uh, try everything and throw everything at it to make it happen. When I think of Melbourne playing Geelong, I think of that 186-point shellacking back in 2011. Still makes me laugh checking the scores and thinking, surely this is a misprint. Maybe I think of that uh, Zach Tui after the siren goal. It's not exactly a, a happy hunting ground for the Ds. If Melbourne are to knock off um, Geelong down at GMHB, I think they'll be clear premiership favourites. I think they're, they're flag favourites now. But if they knock off Geelong down there, I think they're just clear um, clear favourites. But I've got um, I've got the Geelong Cats in this one. Dating back to 2010, 2010, Geelong's won 13 of 16 against Melbourne. And that's not that's not just a GMHBO, that's anywhere. So domination is a, is a fair, fair phrase um, for this one. We've got in terms of injuries, I think both teams will. I think I saw there's a lot of um, dialogue earlier in the week about oh, probably won't be. There's obviously not going to be crowds in Victoria, so they're not playing in front of um, home fans. So maybe Melbourne and Geelong will rest players. I didn't really understand that at all. Like, who wants? To, I don't want to play Port Adelaide in the first week of finals. So avoid, avoid, avoid. Um, Stephen May and Gary Rowan should both be back so that should be somewhat close to full strength back lines and forward lines for Melbourne and Geelong which is probably if, if you ask me Melbourne's back line and Geelong's forward line are probably the two best in the competition so that's that's mouth-watering in itself thought um thought Paddy Dangerfield really sensed the moment um, last weekend against the Saints after they absolutely blew the start and were down by five goals early and he just kind of dragged them over the line. I think that's the, that's the kind of performance they'll need um, to, to secure the minor premiership. I've just got that. I don't know why. I've just got that vibe. I know you're, I know you're thinking the Ds, and I can understand why, but I've just got that vibe on this one. Lay the, lay the case for the Ds, mate. Earlier this year, Melbourne defeated Geelong by 25 points, and whilst you can make the argument that Geelong are a five to six goal better team now than they were back then. I'd argue that Melbourne's a better team now than they were back then too, because now they have the one thing that they didn't have back then, which was a functioning forward line. Now they have a forward line that can match it with the best defences in the competition. And Geelong, full strength, you would argue, is probably the best defence in the competition, but they're missing Tom Stewart. He's not going to be playing and he's probably not going to play for the rest of the year, unfortunately, um, for him and unfortunately for Geelong fans. And that buy, um, again, really inhibits Geelong in terms of getting Tom Stewart back in time for the uh, for the final series. Um, I think Melbourne has the best intercept defenders with the tandem of Jake Lever versus Stephen and Stephen May. And I think that them versus Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron, I just think that their intercept defending is just superior, Melbourne. Um they're finding form at the right time of year. Geelong are looking a little bit iffy at the moment. And yes, it's true. The Ds haven't won down in Geelong since 2015, but all streaks must come to an end. Um, I think that's also the most recent time. No, the 2018, sorry. 2018 elimination final was the most recent time that Melbourne beat Geelong. Again, all streaks must come to an end. And I think the Ds are going to win. It's going to be an epic. I'm tipping Melbourne by a couple of goals. Um, interestingly enough, though, Minor premiership 
might be a bit of a poison chalice. The last time, the last team to actually win the minor premiership and the major premiership in the same season was 2013, Hawthorne. So it does not happen often. It does not happen often. You would think that it logically makes sense that a team that finishes first on the ladder wins the premiership. But 2017 was the most recent grand final where the minor premier actually played in the grand final. So it's been a few years since the minor premier has even been there on the last day in September. So very interesting. Just a little food for thought, possibly a bit of a poison chalice, but it's going to be an awesome game nevertheless. On to Sunday afternoon football down in Hobart for some reason. It's St. Kilda versus Fremantle. Now they played once in Tasmania. Uh, back in 2006, the infamous hashtag Siren Gate situation. Uh, man, the AFL will be hoping and praying that that situation does not happen here because if so, you can imagine that whichever club it's hard done by will absolutely riot. Fremantle need to win to have a hope of sneaking in the finals because if they win and if one of the Giants or the Bombers lose and the Dockers are playing finals football, the Saints will be out to... Uh, and their disappointing season on a positive note. Fraser, who's going to win? St. Kilda or Fremantle? The, um, the Ross Lion Cup. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's an interesting game. I feel like they're two teams that are quite um, well matched. Fremantle, they obviously did well to knock off West Coast and then that drought they had in the derbies. I mean, St. Kilda, St. Kilda weren't bad against Geelong by any means. They jumped out of the blocks really well. Um, Geelong, just a superior team. And they just find a way. That's Geelong, especially down at GMHBA. Fremantle are on the way up. St Kilda perhaps don't have that same level of um, quality youth, especially through their midfield. But both teams will have the expectation of making the finals next year. You bring up you bring up Siren Gate, and I think it's fitting because this this game is just a total flip of the coin. So I might tip a draw. What about you, Matt? Wow. Jeez, I don't even want to know what that does to the finals race if any of the games <laughs> this weekend is a draw. That's too complicated to figure out. Um, Fremantle have too much to play for to lose this one. Um, if you were to tell me that this game um, uh, would be played in Tasmania before Fremantle crushed Hawthorne earlier this year in Tasmania, I would have said, oh, Tasmania and Fremantle don't go well together. I'm tipping the Saints to win because Fremantle don't play well in Tasmania. But I think they've kind of fixed their Tasmania problem earlier this year when they absolutely annihilated Hawthorne. Um, St. Kilda are a rabble this year. I think they're another team that wants the season to end. Um, uh, a heartbreaking loss last week after again giving up a five-goal-to-none lead. Um, Fremantle have too much to play for. I'm, I'm tipping the Dockers by three goals. Would I be shocked if St. Kilda win? No. And I think the Saints are favourites to win this. But I think, yeah, Fremantle, they should win this this year, the Dockers. Um, and then what's been a pretty impressive season for them. Now on to the MCG. It's the final game possibly in charge of the Magpies for Mark Harvey. His Magpies play the Bombers. The Bombers a chance to... Uh, secure a spot in September for the first time since 2019. They have to win. If they don't win, then possibly either Fremantle or West Coast or both could jump uh, could jump them into the finals. Um, I think we're going to win, uh, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than what a lot of people are thinking. Just because Collingwood 
I've just had this feeling that they're setting themselves for this game, just setting themselves for an opportunity to ruin our, our finals chances. Man, I was talking to Liam, in case you don't know, dear listener, Liam uh, Webster McAllister is another uh, co-host on this podcast, a Collingwood supporter, and he told me, he messaged me earlier this week, and he said, I have a Carlton supporting friend who is begging Collingwood to end Essendon's finals hopes. So, you know it's bad when Carlton are hoping for Collingwood to win. Um, but I look at this game and I think, okay, so you have two young teams, one with nothing to lose and one with everything to lose. It's a recipe for a close contest. But with that being said, I think it'll be like Anzac Day, where it'll be a close contest for three and a half quarters and the Bombers will just have too much class late. It'll come down to the brilliance of Jake Stringer and possibly um, Tippin Woody as well as he's playing. Um, Essendon by 20 points. Yeah, very similar on this end, mate. I mean, Essendon should be winning this game, but I agree. It's just got that got that written all over it. That's Sunday, the last Sunday of the of the season. There's always something going going wrong. Whether it's that time when Melbourne tried, were trying to make finals and then they just blew it in the last game of the year, that was tough viewing. Um, but yeah, it's it's a still interesting game. It's as I said, it's a it's a game that Essendon should win, but I think that's a good example you bring up Anzac Day, where they just kind of kicked away in the end. I could definitely see a bit of a similar script going there. What? How are the nerves, mate? I wanted to ask you. Are you are you feeling confident at this point? I'm so scared. I'm so scared. <laughs> I made I made a I made a um, a bet with Liam. By the way, gamble responsibly. I made a yep. bet with Liam. I said to him, if Colin would win, I will wear a Carlton cap in public for one day. <laughs> if Essendon win you have to do the same thing. And I'm very thankful the fact that he didn't agree to that bet because <laughs> I'm so nervous for this game. Because I think, like, <laughs> you look at this game, you look at the teams on paper, and you look at the form, and you think, surely not. Surely, surely we won't stuff this up. But I'm an Essendon supporter. I've had 10-plus years of disappointment. <laughs> and so I'm looking at this game, and I'm thinking, it's entirely possible that Collingwood could win. Um, I won't be comfortable until the final siren sounds and we are at least more than a goal in front, at least more than a goal in front. I won't be comfortable until then. And if that happens, then I will be celebrating, but I won't be comfortable until that 6 PM Sunday afternoon, because either way, if we win or if we lose, at least I know the result, but now I'm just, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I feel like this is a grand final and I'm worried that that's how Colin was going to play. They're going to play like it's their grand final. So I don't know. But uh, God, I sure hope we don't win. I mean, I hope we win. I hope we don't. I hope Collingwood doesn't win. Ah, I don't know what I'm saying. Let's move on to the next game before I before I say something that I regret. On to the final game of the home and away season uh, and the final dead rubber of the home and away season. The Kangaroos traveled to Adelaide to play the Crows at the Adelaide Oval. Um, Kangaroos have had a pretty good end to the season. They've had a pretty good end to the season. And if they win this one then I think out of their last seven games, they would have won four games out of those last seven, which is immensely impressive from them, considering how horrible their start to the year was. Uh, quite possibly one of the most promising wooden spooners we've ever seen. Um, I'm tipping them to continue that momentum. The Crows at the moment, yeah, they've had a better season than last year, but that's not saying much considering how terrible last season was. I kind of feel like they're another team who just wants the final siren to sound so that they can, you know, think about next year. 
Um, I'm tipping the Kangaroos by about 22 points. How about you, mate? Rematch of the 1998 Grand Final. Quite possibly the most important game between these two teams since that 1998 Grand Final. Can the Crows win it at home or will the Kangaroos uh, continue their incredible form of late? Um, definitely with the Roos here. I've been quite impressed by how they've turned it around. Credit to the um, the coaching staff. Um, they've done they've done a really good job. I mean, this it's not a let's if you want to be serious. I mean, it's not a it's not a special list by any means. But they've got I reckon they've got just about everything they could out of it. And if you're a North Melbourne supporter, you're a lot happier now than you were six weeks into the season where it wasn't looking flash at all. As you mentioned, Adelaide on the other hand. They look like they're, well, they are. They've obviously not offered a contract to Daniel Talia, Tom Lynch. Who knows what's going to happen with Taylor Walker? They're going younger. Matt Crouch might be out the door. So I think um, while North Melbourne are looking, or they are a lock for the wooden spoon this year, I think Adelaide's all but um, a lock for next year by a look of things, unless Collingwood continues to fall off the map. Who knows? That could happen as well. I mean, one thing I wanted to say about this game is why is this fixtured here? Like, this should be the Saturday night game. No one's, no one's, want, no one wants to watch this. This may well be the lowest rating game of the year. If we put, even if we move the Essendon Collingwood game to here, that gives you more eyeballs. People want to see Essendon make or miss the finals. Switch it with the Carlton GWS game. Even that, GWS obviously have a chance to make the finals. Eddie Betts' last game. Instead, now I've got a now I've got eyeballs on the Geelong Melbourne game and the Carlton GWS game. People want to watch Eddie Betts in his last game. Yeah, it's not. Although I'm lauding the the Friday and Saturday night um, blockbuster games, that's just a bit of a miss from the fixturing department there. Yeah, but North Melbourne by 20 points in this one, mate. They should um they should have too much for Adelaide. Speaking of Carlton versus GWS, I can't believe it. I think we've missed talking about it. So let's we have Let's, let's quickly talk about Carlton versus GWS. Wow, I can't, this has been absolutely shambolic. Um, Carlton versus GWS. Uh, apologies, Carlton supporters and GWS supporters. Um, the Giants need to win in order to secure themselves a spot in the finals. But Carlton, Levi Casbolt's last game, Eddie Betts' last game, and possibly uh, David Teague's last game as well. Um, Fraser, can the Blues do it for Levi, Eddie, and David Teague? Well, we all knew the send-off was coming from Eddie. Obviously, the Levi-Caswell news was a bit um, was a bit surprising, but not not totally surprising. And the David Teague situation is looking more grim by the day. Um, two teams that have trended in completely different directions at the tail end of this season. I remember when GWS and Carlton played. It wasn't even that long ago. It's um, Carlton. It was. It wasn't a wasn't a game where you expected one team to blow the other out. Carlton were a chance going to that game. I thought they could win that. They, weren't even close. Um, Joe GWS now looks a red hot chance of winning a final, which is a really impressive turnaround from where they were. Um, Carlton's losses to North and Gold Coast were horrendous. And I think now we've kind of touched on this already, but the list just isn't where they expected it to be. GWS, on the other hand, they've conducted that kind of rebuild on the fly, similar to Sydney. I feel like they've probably not got the same level of... Um, um, discussion about how well they've done in that in that um, department. They've replenished their midfield. When they um, when they got going, they obviously had when they initially got going, they obviously had so much um, uh, recycled players from other clubs, and they've done so well to kind of keep 
once they got up into that top eight, they haven't really fallen away. Like even Sydney, we obviously finished um, third bottom last year and GWS was still in that, in that hunt and they've done very well. And I think um, if they blow Carlton away here, they'll start um, beating favourites against Sydney in the first week of finals. Even the, the news of um, Josh Kelly, they obviously lost Jeremy Cameron last year, but Josh Kelly, um, he seems to be signed up for the rest of time after that trigger clause in his contract. So looking forward to seeing Josh Kelly playing for GWS until I, um, until I die because he'll be there forever. Um, Jason McCartney, their list manager, should be lauded, I think. Um, the way they've, they've done that, I don't think he's got anywhere near as much kudos. But, um, yeah, GWS need to win this, um, and they will. Um, I've got them by four goals. But hopefully uh, we see a little bit of magic from Eddie Betts in his, um, in his send-off game. Absolutely. I'm tipping the Giants in a thriller. I think it'll be the Giants at the death by three points. Carlton will throw everything but the kitchen sink at the Giants and possibly the kitchen sink at the Giants at this game as well. Because, I mean, surely they'll have to be hurting after that awful display in Mark Murphy's last game. They're going to want to avoid as best as possible uh, a repeat of that. And so I think they'll push the Giants all the way, but the Giants, they have too much on the line and they'll win by three points. I would not be surprised if Carlton win this, to be honest with you. It would be such a Carlton thing to do. Nothing to play for except to send off two great players and possibly their coach, and they upset a team looking to secure a spot in the finals. That is such a Carlton thing to do. I would not be surprised if that happens. Um, but I'm taking the Giants by three points. Which game are you most looking forward to, Fraser, and why? And which game do you think possibly could be the biggest blowout of the weekend? Most looking forward to Friday night. I think it just sets up the finals. I mean, that um, a potential Bulldogs-Essendon first week elimination would be massive. And Port, I feel like they're just going to throw everything they've got to get that top two finish, two home finals secured. I think that's going to be a cracker. Hopefully it delivers more than the last few Friday nights have Richmond and GWS most fresh in my mind. As for the biggest blowout, I mean, there's a few There's a few chances. Uh, one that we discussed, Brisbane and West Coast, I think that has potential. I mean, we've seen two 90-point shellackings for the West Coast. They probably don't think they're going to make finals, and for good reason. They probably don't deserve to be there. In all reality, so if I had to pick one, I'd probably say that I could see Brisbane winning that by ten goals. They they know how to score, and at the Gabba, it could get ugly. The Lions in round twenty one beat the Dockers in Perth by about sixty four points. In round twenty two, the Dockers beat the Eagles in Perth by fifteen points. Now the Lions play the Eagles in Queensland. Add those two. <laughs> margins together that's a 79 point win it's in queensland which you probably add another two to three goals i'm tipping another 90 point <laughs> something victory for the lions against west coast okay i don't think it'll be that bad but i do think it will be a, a horrible end to a horrible season for west coast as for the game i'm most looking forward to uh whilst i think the dogs and the power could be higher scoring um than geelong versus melbourne i think melbourne Geelong could be a lot closer just because they're, they're two teams. Um, if you look at the last 10 weeks or so, Geelong has had the better form line, but they have more injuries. Melbourne, better form over the last two to three weeks, but it's in Geelong. Uh, I think it's going to be closer. I'm super excited for this game, and it could very well be a grand final preview, Geelong versus Melbourne. Um, it's going to be an awesome game of football. Could very well be a rematch of their 2018 matchups 
during the home and away season with Max Gorn missing with about 10 seconds to go in round one and then the Zach Tui goal after the siren. Um, thank you, Fraser, for joining me for this episode. It's been a lot of fun. Good luck for Saturday uh, afternoon. I tell you what, if the, if the Suns win, <laughs> if the Suns win, man, the Swans should petition the AFL next year to play the Suns in freaking Abu Dhabi because no one will go and see them. Right. No one will go and see that game and the Swans wouldn't want any of their fans seeing that matchup anyways. No, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near a game of uh, of Gold Coast and Sydney. It's a huge stay away. I definitely wouldn't be um definitely wouldn't be a confident a confident tip. Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm not at the top of the tipping because um, it's a tough round for tipping. There could be a few matches that go either way. We've obviously got the finals ramifications for a number of games. I can't remember a last round of the season with more different um, opportunities for teams to jump into the eight, move around in the top four, move around in the top eight. So it should be a great round. And um, yeah, I've enjoyed talking about it. Thanks for having me on, mate. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Three of the Banner podcast. Stay tuned. Uh, hopefully, if I'm organized enough, we'll have two episodes up next week. One will be reviewing the home and away season and the teams that missed, and one will be previewing the final series and, more specifically, week one of what's shaping up to be a fascinating September. Uh, until then, merci beaucoup.